All right. Well, if you can grab your Bibles, open them up to Revelation chapter 6. Revelation chapter 6. And we are continuing on here in our study through this book. And I'm excited about today, too. We're going to be continuing on in our uh, look into the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And today, we're going to be looking at the red horse, the red horse. So just the red horse. We're making our way through here little by little, uh, horse by horse, I guess you can say, <laughs> in this manner. So uh, let's pray once more and ask the Lord to bless our word. Jesus, thank you once again for bringing us here, God. And you, you are so good to us, Lord. And I thank you for all the mothers, the moms that are here, the moms that are connected, and all the ones in our thoughts, Lord. God, thank you for them and their goodness toward us. And Lord, it's because of your grace and mercy you've blessed us with such great moms, Lord. And I, I, we pray that they'd have a blessed day today. And God, as we open your word today, we ask, God, that you would bless your word, that you would anoint it, that your spirit will once again speak to our hearts. And God, as we get into this study today, I pray once again, Lord, that you give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying today, Lord. I pray that you give us a mind to understand your truths. And Lord, give us a heart to receive, to change, Lord, with your word. That your word will work powerfully in our hearts today to transform us, Lord, into the people of God you want us to be. God, help us to lay aside our sin and self and pride, Lord. And to come before you in humbleness, God, knowing that we need you and we need to hear from you right now. So I ask for your anointing, God, and I pray and ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. As the day at home wore on, the mother could hear her little son and daughter's conversation turn from like polite words into complaining into criticizing each other, and then this whole conversation erupted into this full-on argument. Well, at that point, the mother rushed in and sternly told them, stop fighting right now. Well, at that, the little girl turned to her mother and smiled and said, oh, mommy, don't worry, we're not fighting. We're just pretending to be married. (laughs) Sadly, there are times, and there can be times, right, when kids see things. Well, you in the, in the future, you know what, in the future, the future will see a time when every person in the world would, will turn and fight each other. They'll turn and fight with intense violence and war. And that's what we're going to see here in our passage this morning as we continue through our study in the book of Revelation. We're going to see when Jesus opens the second seal and the red horse comes out. And that's what we're going to find, violence and war. So today, we return to the four horsemen of the apocalypse, our study here. And this is part two. And we're going to get into the second horse here, the red horse. And we're going to be studying Revelation chapter 6, verses 3 and 4 only this morning. And with these verses, I have two headings. Number one is the authorization behind the seven seals. We're going to be taking a look at that for a moment. And then number two, the arrival of the, I think I wrote this down wrong, huh? The, the, I have the wicked conquerors. It's actually the arrival of warring violence. I don't know if we caught that 
on our outline, but it should be the arrival of the, the warring violence. So let's begin here. Number one, the authorization behind the seven seals. The authorization behind the seven seals. And again, we're going to be looking at just verse 3 here. Take a look. Revelation chapter 6, verse 3. It reads, When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. So we'll stop right there. Now, John, we begin here once again. He's recording the, what's going on. And he's recording the opening of what we read here, the second seal. Now, this second seal is part of the seven seals that is sealing the scroll. And if you remember, we've been studying in Revelation 5, we learned that this scroll is the title deed to the earth, which contains a process of taking back what was lost to Satan when man sinned. Remember, we studied all that in Revelation 5. If you missed that, you can go back on our YouTube channel or Facebook and catch it. Even on our Spotify, uh, 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 you can catch that there too. So the process, remember, begins with God's judgment being poured out in this time as we call the tribulation. And so we're getting into that right now. Last week we saw in verse 1 and 2 of Revelation chapter 6, the first seal was broken open. The scroll, you remember, the seal was broken. The scroll was unrolled, right? And it revealed what the white horse and its rider coming out onto the earth. And with that, we understood and learned that that white horse and the rider represents the, the arrival now of the wicked conqueror. And we talked about the Antichrist last week. So here we come into verse, verse 3 and verse 4. And as we get into verse 3, the second seal is now broken open. It's broken, and then the scroll is now being unrolled for the second part. And the scroll is unrolled, and then we read here in verse 3, Then the second living creature calls out for the second event to come out onto the world. And he says, Come. Now remember, the living creature, we've seen these, they're one of the four uh, powerful high-level angels called cherubim. Uh, uh, we see, we've learned that, right? We're back in chapter 4. We learned that there's four of them around the throne of God. They're, they're there ready to be dispatched to do whatever God wants. But they're these high-level, powerful cherubim. And they are tasked now here, when the seal is broken, to bring about this event, to call upon this event to come. Interesting here in verse 3, which is different from what we saw in verse 1. It's actually named the, the second living creature. So obviously the, the, the living creature we saw in verse 1 is the first one. So now we see the second living creature. We see the second cherubim calling out for this next event to come. Now, the, the word second here makes me think about back in Revelation chapter 4, those four cherubim were named you remember one out of face of a lion one out of face of ox and one out of face of a man one out of face of an eagle and so i believe that when it says the second cherubim here it's speaking about that one that had that face like an ox and last time we or back in chapter four we defined it as as an ox and the ox you remember rep, or, or we saw it as an ox and it defines it as service so 
we see this as the angels do. This angel is serving God. Now, I wanted to talk about something here before we go on into verse 4. Now, who is this angel serving? Well, we see the angel serving the one who opened the seal, right? And it says here in verse 3, when he opened the seal. And who is that he? Well, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. We've been learning that, haven't we? We, it tells us, right, in verse 1, that it was the Lamb who came and opened the first seal. So Jesus is the one opening the second seal. And as we learn in chapter 5, Jesus is the Lamb who holds the right, right, to take the scroll, who holds the right and authority to break open. He's, he, he's the only one who can do that because he paid to buy the title deed with his life when he died on a cross. So we learn all of that in chapter 5. And so here's Jesus now taking the scroll, opening these seals. So this angel is serving Jesus. So let me give you this idea. The Lord Jesus is the sovereign God who authorizes the events in the tribulation. He opens the seal bringing this judgment. Remember, many of these seals are going to bring judgment upon this world. That's why it's a tribulation. So I want you to think about that idea. Just think about this for a moment. It's the Lord Jesus, a sovereign God, who breaks open this seal. That cherubim is serving Jesus in this way. And out of the seal come the four horsemen, the first four seals of the apocalypse, which are bringing this judgment upon the world. So Jesus opens the seals, bringing the judgment. Jesus gives that authorization behind the seven seals. That's our heading. J. Vernon McGee said about the tribulation, he wrote, It is a period of judgment of God upon a Christ-rejecting world. Now, I like that. that. That really makes it clear. And so we kind of understand that, well, yeah, no wonder then Jesus, God, the sovereign one, is bringing judgment because they rejected right him. So take note here. Just take note for a second before we go on. The Lord Jesus Christ is the one who releases the four horsemen of the apocalypse. All right? Just take note, put that in your mind. Now, the word apocalypse, today we, we define it, we use it meaning like disaster, calamity, destruction, all-out war, even Armageddon, right? The apocalypse, you know, it's going ha- to happen if nuclear war breaks out. But it really is tied to the end times. And you know what? It really comes from this book of Revelation because literally apocalypse, it means to unveil. That's what it means. We've tied it into war, destruction because of the book of Revelation. It's kind of morphed into that, into the our society and how we use that word. But literally, the word means to unveil. Another word for apocalypse is revelation. Or I guess you could interchange the two. Another word for revelation is apocalypse. It means to unveil, right? So the book of Revelation is this apocalypse, this unveiling. And and I want you to get this. The, The book of Revelation is really about the unveiling of Jesus Christ. And we talked about that way back in Revelation chapter 1. Look at Revelation this way. Now, 
First of all, Revelation chapter 1 is about the vision of Christ, right? John saw Jesus. Jesus unveiled himself to John. So Revelation chapter 1 is the vision of Christ. Revelation chapter 2 and 3, it's about the voice of Christ. So you have the vision of Christ and now the voice of Christ, right? Jesus is, is, is speaking to the seven churches, right? And then Revelation from like chapter 6 to 18 after the whole scene in heaven is the vengeance of Christ. That's the judgment of God pouring down upon the Christ-rejecting world. And in the end, when we end, end up from 19 to 20 to Revelation, that's the victory of Christ. So it's all about Jesus. It's all about Revelation. It's all about apocalypse. So when, when, we, when we really use that word, just, just remember that it's about Christ. And here we're seeing Right now, at the beginning, as the seals are being broken open, the vengeance of Christ. And Jesus is the authorization behind the seven seals. You know, in John 5, verse 22, Jesus said, For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. So Jesus is really given that task to bring this judgment. I mean, one day the whole world is going to be sitting before Jesus, right? The great throne, uh, uh, the white throne of judgment. We're going to be seen at the end of Revelation. So Jesus is the one who administers the judgment. Now, we understand this. We accept it. What we learned in chapter 5, Jesus is the only one who has the right and authority to take ownership of the title. Jesus now is the only one we're understanding that is authorized to break open the seals and bring this judgment. But what may be hard to understand and accept, and I was thinking about this, is that Jesus breaks open the seals, and that brings the judgment of God, and all these cataclysmic events happen upon the world. Now you may be thinking, with all this going up, this is Jesus here in verse 1 and verse 3, breaking the seals and authorizing this, and the angel goes out doing his bidding, right, so serving the Lord. You may be thinking, maybe you've been thinking, or even been asked, maybe someone might say, doesn't Jesus love everyone in the world? Doesn't Jesus really love people? I mean, and then secondly, so will God really have these terrible things fall upon the earth? You ever thought about that? You ever been asked about that? I mean, as we talk about the end times and the judgment upon the world, and, and maybe we share with someone, or maybe yourself, you start thinking, wait, wait, Jesus, wait, don't you love everyone in the world? I mean, will you really have these terrible things fall upon the world? I don't know if I can really believe all this. And you know what? The answer to both of those questions is yes. Yes. Jesus does love everyone in the world. Jesus will really have these terrible things fall upon the world. And I'm going to take a moment here before we go on to the next verse to answer why both of these questions is true. And number one is this. God is a God of love and justice. You could underline that. And justice. God is a God of love and justice. Justice. Now take a moment, turn in your Bibles to Psalm 89, and we're going to look at verse 14. Psalm 89, verse 14. Psalm 89, verse 14. It says here, Psalm 89, verse 14, Righteousness and justice are the foundations of your throne. 
And then the rest of the verse says, steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. So righteousness, justice is, is part of God. It's part of who he is. But not only that, steadfast love and faithfulness, the NLT actually says love and truth, they are your assistants that go with you. That's what the NLT says. But God leads, you can say, with love and truth. But there's still that other part. Righteousness and justice is all part of who God is. So, right here in Psalm 89, 14, we can see that God is righteous. God is just, but God is also love. And I think in our minds, we think, how can love, how can judgment, I mean, how can that even go together? It seems like it's this contradiction. How can that be? But we have to accept the truth, first of all, that God is both loving and God is both just think about it this way in God's righteousness and justice in his pure holiness right he can do no wrong so that means he cannot turn a blind eye to sin in his pure holiness it requires him to deal correctly with wrong to deal correctly with sin to deal correctly because justice requires payment for crimes Committed. This is God. He's righteous. We read in here in Psalm 89. He's, he's justice. Think about this scenario. Think about this scenario. What if Adolf Hitler never really died? Which, did you know there's some conspiracy theories out there? Because uh, when the Soviets came and, and, and found his body, they, they, they took it. They didn't really tell anybody where it is. They kept changing where they're burying his body or ashes. And so today there's this conspiracy theory that, you know what, we, we haven't seen his body. So he never really died. He lived to an old age and then died with his wife. And th- there's this theory out there. But think about this. If, think about if, if Hitler never really died and, say, the U.S., yeah, you know, brought him in, let him live there, the government turned a blind eye to the millions that he murdered, right? You know what? Wouldn't everyone get upset, right? Wouldn't people get upset? Wouldn't everyone say, oh, see, I knew it. This government is corrupt, yeah? It's corrupt. They're just doing it for whatever, money or whatever. They're turning a blind eye for for whatever, but they're corrupt, they're crooked, and a big riot would break out, right? People will demand, right, whoever's in charge or any crooked judge who is involved to step down for not rightly dealing for the crimes that were committed. We understand that. We don't like that. When injustice is done in our courts and our government, we don't like that. But you see, God is not like that. He, was, he is not a crooked judge. He cannot li- leave sin like unjudged, right? He cannot just do nothing because it would go against his holy character. It would go against his righteous character, who he is. And so he is justice, as we see here in Psalm 89:14. So the answer to that question, yes, God will really have these terrible judgments fall upon the world because sin must be judged 
And this is the time when the judgment of God will come upon the world. So understand that. Number one, God is a God of love and justice. Number two, Jesus does love everyone, but people chose to reject his love. That's the second truth I want you to see, to understand that both of these questions is true. Now, now turn from Psalms and go to John, excuse me, John chapter 3. John chapter 3, and we're going to take a look at a passage here from verse 16 through 19. John chapter 3. We're familiar with these verses, if anything, at least the first verse. But John 3, 16, we know that, right? Take a look here. John 3, 16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Here we see this is the verse we used to witness. This is the verse we we assured of our salvation. We know if we believe in what Christ did on dying on the cross, how the Father gave Jesus a to pay the penalty for our sins, to make the atonement for our sins, that if we believe in Him and who He is and what He's done, that we can live eternally, that we can go to heaven. Here we see God's so love. This is God's love, right? He didn't have to do this. Jesus willingly died and came for us because He loved us so much. So we see God's love in John 3.16. But look at verse, now look at verse 17. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. So Jesus didn't come to judge the world, condemn them for, for what, what, what they're doing. That, in His first coming, that's not why He came. He, because of love, He came to save us, right? So that's His heart. Understand, in verse 17, we see the heart of God. His intention to save people that nobody, nobody would perish at all. So look at the heart here. God loves us. That's His character. That's who He's about. His heart is to save. And in His first coming, that's what it was all about. Then look at verse 18. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed. Now, those who believe, they're not condemned. Their sins have been atoned for. We're going to heaven. We're going to be in heaven in the rapture before the tribulation years happens and before the second coming of Christ when He comes as the lion, as He comes as the king, as He comes to judge. But the first time He came to save. And those who believe, He saves. But in verse 18, it says, those who, whoever does not believe is condemned already. What does that mean? Those who don't believe, those who rejected God's love, they are condemned already. They're under that judgment because their sins are not covered. So you understand, they have rejected what Christ did. They did not believe. So they're under that judgment already. And then verse 19. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world And people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. In other words, Jesus has come. The light has come to save. Jesus came in His love to save and help people. But there are those who in the world, and the world we could say in general, has rejected God's love 
Christ's love. And they love darkness rather than the light because they like that evil. So that means in verse 19 that they chose to reject Jesus' love. So you see that? Jesus does love everyone. As a matter of fact, that's why he came. He came to save, right? But there are those who reject that love, and that's what we see here. Jesus does love, offers that love, but people chose to reject and not believe. People chose to suppress the truth of God's love and what Jesus has done and chose to say, no, I don't want it. I don't want to believe it. Ah, never, never really happened. And why? Because they chose sin over God's love. So do you understand here now? Jesus does love everyone, but people chose to reject his love. That's what's going on here. Yeah, judgment has to come because God is love and, and, and justice. He is justice also. He's righteous. He has to. But, but Jesus does love everyone, but people chose to reject that love and still stay under the judgment. And as we're talking about in Revelation, the judgment to come in the end. Many times people miss this. Many times people don't, don't see all of who God is. They only see God in, in one way, right? Whether, oh, God, God is love. Uh, and whatever I do, it's okay. He's all love, right? And they make excuses. Paul says, should we sin that grace abound? Romans 6. Some people look at it the other way and they say, oh, God, I don't like him. He's, he's, he's this wrathful God. Look, how could this be true? Jesus, how could he come and bring all this judgment upon the world in the tribulation? But these are false conclusions to who God is. What his character is really about. You know Richard Dawkins, right? Uh, uh, I think he's a biologist, scientist, and famous atheist. You know, he wrote this book called The God Delusion. And he wrote in his book, in it, he called the God of the Old Testament. He used words like this. The God of the Old Testament is the most unpleasant character Petty, unjust, unforgiving, control freak, um, malevolent bully. Call God a bully, the Old Testament God. You know what's sad? Is this atheist missed how God gave warnings over and over in the Old Testament for people to turn and repent from their ways before God had to come and judge their sin. Sadly, he missed how God delayed his judgment even, right? I mean, think about Noah, right? For hundreds of years, right? God delayed the flood to come, and Noah took all that time to build the ark before the flood suddenly came. Or how about the Canaanites, right? Who, were, who Israel was tasked to, to destroy, and people like, oh, wow, that, that, how could God is crazy, God, to, to order that? But they forget that the, for 400 years, God gave them opportunity to change before He came and judged the nation for, for pedophilia, for, for killing children, for all their sins. How they were infecting and corrupting the world with immorality. God waited 400 years. You know what? Sadly, many don't see it, including Richard Dawkins, or even know 
that the word mercy in the Old Testament, as it relates to God and his creation, the word mercy, well, let me say this. In the New Testament, it's used only 70 times. But in the Old Testament, 290 times. The word mercy. You can say the Old Testament speaks of God's mercy over four times more than the New Testament does. So you understand, Richard Dawkins, his description of God is all wrong. This is not the character of God in the Bible. Yeah, he has to bring judgment, but he's given plenty mercy. So does God send people to hell? No. People choose it by rejecting Jesus Christ. So understand what's going on. If you're, if you're confused, if you're going, wait, wait, doesn't Jesus love everyone? Yet he's going to open the seal and bring judgment upon the world. I, 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 don't, I don't get to understand this, right? That God is love and justice. And that Jesus does love everyone, but people chose to reject his love. If, if you're here, if you're online, if you're, you're right here in, in the stay here at the sound of my voice, hear me yet now. You know what? Choose Jesus. Choose Jesus today. Don't choose sin over salvation. Don't choose bondage over freedom. Don't choose lust over the living water of God. Choose Jesus over judgment today. Give your life. Give your heart to God. This time is coming. The seals are going to be broken open soon. I see it in the world. We're going to be talking about that more and more. We see it as our world is spinning out of control right now, more than ever before. And this is the time to choose Jesus. So wherever you're at, at the sound of my voice, hear the Spirit calling on you. Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart that you would give your life to Him, that you come to Him, come to the cross, find forgiveness of your sins, be cleansed, given new life, eternity, heaven. If you're here this morning and you've never really given your heart to Christ, do it right now in your chair. Say a little prayer. Give your life to Him. Surrender to Him right now. If you wandered away from God, this is the day. Today is the day of salvation. Come back to Jesus. Choose Jesus over the judgment to come. Because you know what? He loves you. He does not want you to go through this time. But he will have to have this happen because he will judge sin. So choose Jesus before the coming of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. So Jesus is the authorization behind the seven seals. Let's go back to Revelation now. Revelation chapter 6. Let's go to number 2. The arrival of warring violence. The arrival of warring violence. We come to verse 4 now, Revelation 6. And let's take a look. It reads, And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from earth so that people should slay one another, and he was given a great reward. Now out came, the angel calls out, right? Out comes now this, this horse. It's bright red. 
Now remember, horse in the Bible, it speaks of conquering, it speaks of, speaks of power. And so these horses are, are coming out and speaking of these things that are coming down upon the world. This horse is bright red. Here in the ESV, ESV it says, this horse, it, it really speaks of, of uh, it's flaming red. It speaks of hostility. It speaks of rage. And, and even the red also represents bloodshed. Now, as we get into this red horse, remember each horse and rider represents an event that comes upon the world in the tribulation. Uh, you remember last week, and put it up again, how I see these horses, like number one, the white horse in verse one and two, right, represents the arrival of the Wicked conquer. Uh, this, the red horse now, here what we're looking at, it, in verse 3 and 4, it represents the arrival of warring violence. That's our heading. We'll see next time the black horse, verse 5 and 6, it represents the arrival of worldwide famine. And then the pale horse after that, verse 7 and 8, represents the arrival of widespread death. But here, number 2, the second horse, the red horse, represents the arrival of warring violence. And with that, we see three things in verse 4. Three things. We see the red horse and its rider, what it brings, right? Number one, we see this. Peace is taken away. Number one, peace is taken away. When it comes, the riders, notice, notice here in verse 4, is permitted. That word means to be granted, to be allowed. In other words, God has taken off his restrictions. He's taken off his hand and let the world actually go and do its course. That, that's, that's the idea. So the rider, the red horse, is permitted to take peace away. Peace is taken away. Listen, this will be a time of fighting, of conflict, that history has never seen before. When peace, God's restricting hand, is taken away. You know what I think about? I think about over in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And remember last year we studied this in verse 7. It says here, For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is out of the way. So in 2 Thessalonians 2, 7, it, it talks about how, how God restrains. The word means he holds back. He prevents. He holds down. And he's holding down what? Lawlessness, wickedness, rebellion. I mean, we, we see things already even getting worse, don't we? And so it's held back out of the way. Verse 7 in 2 Thessalonians says, it's held back until it is out of the way. And, and, and what's out of the way? Well, we talked about it back uh, uh, last, last fall when we were in Second Thessalonians, that this speaks of the work of the Holy Spirit in the church. So after the church is, is taken out of the earth in the rapture, right? The restraint is gone. And then peace is taken away. Peace is gone. That's the idea here. The, understand, right, the Holy Spirit works in the church, right? The, the Holy Spirit works in, in the church. It, and like how Jesus said in Matthew 5, 13, you are the salt of the earth. And we know, first of all, salt is a preservative. 
right? And it also enhances flavor. The presence of the Holy Spirit fills believers, fills the church, honored, and it's a preservative. It keeps the world from going totally rotten. And salt also brings out the flavor, right? We, we, we bring flavor to the earth, believers, by the love of Jesus in our lives. That's how. We bring this flavor to the world by, by sharing and being God's agape. It flows through us. It flows through each other. It brings the agape love of the gospel to others. But once the church is taken out, once the rapture happens, the work of the Holy Spirit stops in that way. Now, that verse in 2 Thessalonians uh, 2, 7 doesn't mean the Holy Spirit isn't there anymore because people will get saved and we're going to be seeing that. We're going to be seeing God sending out His angel and the 144,000 going out in Israel, Jews getting saved by the blood of Christ. We'll be seeing that. But it means in the way that the Holy Spirit works in the church will be taken out. Then wickedness, evil, rebelliousness will take off unhindered and fighting will break all out. So you get the picture? Do you understand that? Peace is taken away. You know what? I think about it this way. You know, think about when maybe you're kind of spiritually or your fuel is kind of low uh, you're, you're tired, or maybe you haven't been connected to God or been in the Bible or at church and devotions like you have, and you're not like connected to the Holy Spirit. And you know, we are to walk in the Spirit, not in flesh, but sometimes we're walking more in the flesh than the Spirit, right? You know, in those times, I know for me, I, I'm more irritable, yeah? I'm more in that bad mood. I'm more, I'm more hostile, right? I'm, I'm more ready to argue and fight with someone. Right? Think about that. Think about when the influence of the Spirit in, with the, through the church is not in the world anymore. And maybe, perhaps, what's been going on in you lately is because you need to walk in the Spirit once again. You need to get in step with the Holy Spirit. Well, number one, we see when the red horse and the rider comes out, peace is taken away. Number two, people will kill each other. People will kill each other. Now, it goes on in verse 4. It, it says here, so that people in the middle of verse 4 should slay one another. Now, what happens when peace is taken away? People go crazy, and they slay one another. The word slay means to slaughter, and not just slaughter, but slaughter individuals. In other words, violence and, and killing they, they, they break out. It becomes commonplace. It becomes like, like, like the new normal in a super bad way. This will be an unprecedented time when people will kill each other. They're going to be killing each other. William Barclay said this, The vision of the end was a vision of a time when all human relationships will, would be destroyed and the world will become a seething cauldron of embittered hate. So in other words, what's going to happen here is neighbors will be against neighbors. Families will be against families. Husbands will be against uh, uh, wives. And wives will be against husbands and children, against their parents. And fr- friends are no more. People will be readily just each other, hating each other, bitterly going after each other, viciously 
being violent and slaying, killing each other. You know what I was thinking about? These violent tendencies to hurt, to kill, right? It's been around a long time, if you think about it, right? It's been around a long time. Remember the first person to be born. I'm not talking about Adam and Eve. The first person to be born from Adam and Eve killed his brother. Who's that? Cain, right? Cain killed his brother Abel. Way back in the beginning. His jealousy, right? His hate, his bitterness. Cain killed his brother. And since that time, violence, murder have carried on. It has, and we know, we understand, we've seen, we know history. But think about this. Once the restraints are gone, once peace is taken away, violence will reach a whole new level. Killing and slaying one another is a whole new level. It'll reach this feverish peak, and it's going to be during this time in the tribulation. You know what I was thinking? I was, as I was studying this and really meditating on this all week, you know, I go, wow, Lord. I can see that what's coming is ramping up today, isn't it? It's getting worse. People are getting in, just doing things. They're, they're, it's, it's almost like that's, that's turning into almost a new normal, right? It's so commonplace and things are getting worse and worse. Shootings, right? We've seen in the news someone getting a gun, killing someone else. Violent acts that kill other people. You know, I heard a st- statistic the other day. Arrests for youth committing murder now under the age of 18 have doubled in recent times. And no wonder. I mean, they say by the time, another statistics, by the time a child is 18, they witness 15,000 acts of murder on like TV, movies, and that's not counting video games, right? We're getting more and more desensitized to the value of another human life. How about recent rallies, right? Standing up for a cause, being turned into these crazy riots, violent ones, right? Right? Looting businesses, right? Uh, uh, facing off each other, beating each other off. We've just seen peaceful rallies are, 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 are going by the wayside. It's more and more frequent violence and people getting killed. Shootings. How about the excessive use of force, right, by police officers, some, right? They're supposed to uphold the peace, but it's leaking into those in authority who should be keeping the peace. We, we've seen that, right? This is ramping up. Hatred. If you don't believe what I believe, I hate you, right? Dividing lines of racism, aggression. And you know, it's, it's getting so crazy that, the, that, that, that this violence and aggression, this Cainism, uh, I, I would call it, you know, it's getting so crazy that those people who are standing for something are, are being so illogical. Like, for example, I was, I was watching this little video where this person was holding this sign, and on the sign it said, Stop the hate. 
But everything they were doing were acts of hate toward this Christian. Isn't that crazy? Oh, yeah, you stand, no, stop hating. We can't, you stop hating. Yet, what are they doing? They're so blind. We're, we're all being blinded to what is beginning to ramp up and what's going to peak out in the tribulation time. Let me say this. Even this kind of Cain-ish acts are leaking into the church, into believers, you guys. Even believers are now fighting each other, going after those who don't agree with them, who don't agree on their stance and the things that are going on in the world. And they stand there with this self-righteous, argumentative, divisive, hateful, I call it pharisaical, like a Pharisee, right? Attacking the fellow believers with what? Well, a Bible. Isn't that crazy? Just yesterday I read this. This was the headline. Pastor's wife advocates for vaccines and receives death threats. Now, now she's not just some homemaker. She's actually uh, not just some housewife, but she's an epidemiologist at a research university in Waco, Texas. It's not like she doesn't know what she's talking about. And no matter how you feel about the vaccine, that's not the way to handle this. Put death threats out. This is how crazy it's getting. And it's leaking into the church, you guys. And that was heavy on my heart. Because I've been seeing this since this whole pandemic opened up. We are losing our way as believers, you guys. We're losing our mission. I see more hostility between Christian, the body of Christ is being divided with this viciousness. What happened to shining the light of Christ? Now it's about your opinion on these issues with coronavirus. It's not about Jesus. People aren't talking about Jesus. They're not with passion. They're going, they're arguing these things. Where's that passion for Jesus? Where's that passion? For him and what he's done. What happened to the love of Jesus? Because even Christians are turning against the unbeliever who don't believe what they believe. And getting vicious. What, is, what happened to our mission to share the gospel? It's like they're taking that judgment into their own hands and saying, it's a righteous cause. Yet, we're killing each other with words. You know what's happening? We're allowing what's going on in the world, ramping up to this time. Yeah, When people will kill each other, it's going to peak there. right? With hatred and violence and bitterness. You know what's happening? We're getting caught up in that, sadly. And the Cain, I would say, in us is being resurrected. When it should be the resurrected life of Jesus Christ in us. Amen? Amen. Search your heart today. What are you allowing? Is it Christ? Or is it Cain? So peace is taken away. People will kill each other. And the last thing here is passions boil into war. 
That's what's going to happen with this red horse when it comes up. It represents warring violence, the arrival of that into the tribulation. Peace take away, people will kill each other. And lastly, passions boil into world war. The last part of verse 4 says, and he was given a great sword. Now, the word sword here is makaira. It's not the the big Roman broadsword, you know, the, the huge long sword that they use both hands just swing and fight with that. Makaira is the short sword. Sometimes it was, it was like the size of a dagger. It could be even up to 18, 19 inches long. I picture the movies, you know, the Romans in their uh, helmet and armor and on their side, on their belt, right, is that short sword. Or you see pictures that are holding that. It's used more for hand-to-hand com- combat. Commentators say assassins use that kind of sword. So it's talking about this sword, but it's a great Makaira which refers to the extent of how the sword will be involved from going from individuals to countries and nations. That's what I see here. So all the violence, when peace is taken away, when people start killing each other, it turns into this all-out war. The hatred, the violence, the bitterness grows, right? And these passions just boil into world war. So... Things are going to get more worse and more, worse, and wars will, between nations will break out. Jesus talked about that in Matthew 24. And we talked about how at, in three and a half years, at the midpoint of the tribulation, right, the Antichrist is going to stand in the rebuilt temple and declare himself God and require the whole world to worship him. False, this false peace, peace he talked about, it was slowly eroding anyway, and now it's totally gone because... Already, some nations weren't happy with him. I mean, here he declared himself the ruler of the world, but not all nations were all the way on board, and they began to grumble. They began to not like some of the things he did. And we know in Daniel 11, when we studied that last year, how um, it seems to say some armies from Egypt and some armies from Syria from the north come and attack him, but he defeats them. So nations are starting to stand up. And then it culminates with Russia, uh, kind of a, a reform Russia with his, the, his, her new armies. They come from the north, and I believe from China, from this uh, and, and a, a affiliation of, of Asian countries, kings from the east, with a 20 million man army march from the east to come and fight the Antichrist. So you have this army from the north, from the east, coming and gathering together, and the Antichrist with his forces meets them in the valley of Megiddo, Revelation 16. And this is the famous Armageddon. That's what Armageddon is. When everyone comes together, you could say the world comes together, starts to fight each other. This all peaks to that point. This final world war. But that's when, Revelation 19, Jesus comes and conquers them all with the word of his mouth. So, listen, we can see this coming as we wrap up here. Our society getting more violent. We know it's going to peak here in in, uh, Revelation. We know the prophecies there. And you know what? I want what we're learning here today 
to shake you. To shake you to the core. I want knowing that these things are going to come. It's coming. We see uh, things wrapping up like the pre-quill or, or the pre-things happening right now. The pre-earthquakes with this violence and that stuff going on today. We see every day in the news. It should shake us so much that we don't want to allow that Cain to live in me anymore. We don't want to be part of the problem, right? We want to be part of the solution and give love and mercy of Jesus Christ. Satan's out there as we close up here. Satan's out there stirring up strife. And so let's not give in to his plan to destroy relationships. Let's rather turn our battles to destroy that cane that's inside of us, our flesh. I want to close with this. Missionaries to uh, New Guinea told of a custom that the local natives did in one of their ritual songs and dances. They would like work themselves up into a frenzy uh, with the, the beating of drums and, and their, their chanting and music. They, they, they worked themselves into a frenzy, and the ritual would peak into breaking out into what they call the language of murder songs. The songs, basically, the song was where they would peak up into where they would shout before their God, the names of the people they wish to kill. Now, the missionaries came in, shared Jesus, and after the, this certain you know, group of tribe people gave their life to Jesus and were saved, they would still do those ritual songs and dances, but they converted him. They converted them now that they had Jesus in their life. They no longer, when they got to peak, like shout the names of people they hated and were going to kill. But they named the sins they hated and called on God to destroy them and to free them from those things. I think we got to fight the right battles, right? <laughs> fight what matters. Not each other. Not, not, not the unbeliever who... They don't understand, right? But we need to fight that battle of our flesh inside and fight the good fight of sharing the love of Jesus Christ in this hurting and broken and and this world that is in bondage to sin. So with what we know today, let's not be poisoned with hatred and violence. The tendencies to do these things that's already in our flesh. It's programmed there. We've been set free in Jesus. Why go back to that bondage, right? Why play into the violence Satan is putting out? Why play into what is going to be coming with the red horse? We'll be coming with the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Let's pray. God, as we close up here, I... I feel we all need to repent of our sins, Lord. We all need to repent of harboring hatred, anger, bitterness, Lord. Entertaining thoughts, Lord, of retaliation and vengeance when it's not our job, God. You called us to love, to carry the cloak, go another mile, Lord, to turn our cheek. You called us to give mercy. 
You called us not to be Pharisees who never did that. You called us to give grace as you've given grace to us. And God, we're not perfect in that. We failed in many ways in our relationships, in our family, with our spouses, Lord, with, with our neighbors, with, with our co-workers. So, Lord, forgive us right now. Lord, I pray that as you forgive and cleanse us, that you would renew us anew. And those things that are stirring in us that are not of you, the, 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 the things of Cain, Lord, God, we want to put aside, put to rest, and not even go there anymore. We want you, Jesus. We want your love. Because those things just take away our peace, Lord. We want your peace. We want you. So I ask God that you would do this very thing as your Spirit's been speaking to us, revealing things, convicting us, God. They would come to find peace, Lord, and your love in the depths of our heart and soul today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand.